As we mature, our roles and responsibilities change in all aspects of life. This is witnessed in the Bible as well when Jesus calls his disciples and turns them into apostles in Matthew 10 with the limited commission. Jesus takes a group of men he has been teaching, training, and discipling and sends them to teach others and call them into the kingdom to offer salvation to all who would listen. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's sermon from Disciples to Apostles, where we look at Jesus sending his disciples on an apostolic mission. While there are no present-day apostles as represented in the scripture, we can still look at their transition and learn how we mature and take on different roles for Christ and be effective where he sends us. going to be looking at a large portion of scripture. It's going to be the limited commission found in Matthew 10. We're actually going to start it back up at verse 35 of chapter 9. But I wanted to just give us a little bit of context because we're preparing to try to evangelize the city. And we have reached a portion in scripture to where Jesus commissions his apostles at this point to go out and to do something akin to what we're planning to do. But what's interesting in this is that up until this point in the gospel, Jesus has taught, he's performed miracles, he's exercised demons, he's faced opposition. But he hasn't told the apostles to go out and teach. He has been demonstrating, showing to them the life that they have undertaken, that they have become a part of. And now he's asking them to transition from one aspect to, I believe, a deeper maturation of whom he's calling them to be as disciples. But what precipitates this is Jesus understands the day and age that he's living in. Look at Matthew 9, verse number 35. This is after Jesus has taught his Sermon on the Mount. This is after Jesus has performed these miracles, validating his teachings. This is what Jesus looks out sees and his assessment. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
One would dare say that if Jesus was looking out into the world today, he would have the same assessment. People are helpless. People are lost. They have no leader. And the harvest, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. We can look out in the world and we see this very same thing. There's all types of turmoil. There's all types of situations that only the gospel truly answers. And very few people who are willing to say it. And even less people who know it. So there needs to be somebody who goes out and harvests. Teaches. Preaches. Sows. Water. Reaps. The harvest of souls that will be ushered into salvation. It takes work and it takes people. I want us to see something before we read chapter 10. Because what Jesus just did was he assessed the situation, but he also called his disciples to him. And in calling his disciples to him, he said that there's a lot of work to be done. Pray that somebody comes and does this work. Now listen as I read chapter 10. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. I'm going to pause right there just so we could catch what just happened. They're disciples, a student, a learner of a teacher. And when he names them, they become apostles. Somebody sent on a mission with a specific message and purpose. You see that? Jesus saw that there needed to be people to go out and work in this harvest. He said, pray to the Lord of harvest that he sends somebody. The very disciples he's talking to become the people that are the answer to the prayer. The disciples are now the apostles. These are the name of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter and his brother, Andrew, James, son of Zebedee and his brother, John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach the message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth. 
it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men that will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you are to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the son of man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of the household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before man, I also will acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before man, I will disown him before my father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Mold that over in your mind, and as you're doing such, just consider that as Jesus is going to send out his disciples, who are now become apostles, these are the very words that he gives them to go with. And most of that message, while encouraging in nature, foretells of some very difficult, hard circumstances that they are going to be faced with. And all they have to go on is their faith that the Jesus who sent them out is somehow, some way going to be with them, even though he's not there physically. He has looked out into the world. He's looked out into all of the towns and they've been with them and he saw the troubled people that have come to them. They've seen the miracles that he's done. They've heard the teachings that he has said. They saw the opposition that he's been confronted with. And now Jesus says, you are no longer students. Now I need you to be teachers and you're going to go out and you're going to teach people what you have witnessed me teach. But I'm not going to be with you. And it lets us know that when we start to see the world as Jesus starts to see the world, we see that it is in dire need of the message that Jesus is proclaiming. It's in dire need of a Savior because people are lost. People are hurting. And people really do not have anyone that's leading them to anything of value. But that is only perceived when we see the world as God sees it through the lens of Jesus Christ. And when we see it like that, we recognize that we're called not only to learn of Christ, but to participate with him in the proclaiming of this message of the kingdom of heaven. You see, they've had a a, a period of learning a period of education at the feet of Jesus. And at some point, it doesn't say how long they've been walking with him. It's presumed that they walked with Jesus in his earthly body for three years. But at some point, Jesus expected them to go from disciples to apostles. Now, we don't become apostles in the same sense that the 12 apostles did, but there's some sense that at some maturation point, in our Christianity, that we are expected to make the transition from disciples to apostles. At some point, our learning is sufficient enough for us to go out and to tell people in this lost world that there is an answer because we see the condition of people in this world. We recognize that they really are not following anything worthy to be followed of. And we hear Jesus saying that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of harvest for workers. And when we make that prayer in church, what do we recognize? 
that the very ones saying the prayer are probably the very ones who will become the workers in the vineyard. But that's okay. That's a good thing because we recognize that we're not working alone. Even though we don't have Jesus with us physically, he's still there with us because he has left his spirit. And he told the apostles that as you go out, you're going to have these spiritual powers that's going to validate the teachings that you are going to teach. But what's most important is that you preach and teach this message of salvation to these lost people. And we don't want to get too caught up in the spiritual powers that they were given because we don't have the same access to them, but we still have the spirit with us. And so while we go out and preach and teach and fulfill what we are to do in our participation with Jesus in being workers in the harvest, we know we're not alone. We know that we have the Holy Spirit working with us to validate the message of Christ. That should reassure us. But sometimes it doesn't. Why doesn't it reassure us? Because we understand what Jesus understood. That when we make this transition from disciples, from learners to teachers, that we're actually putting ourselves in a position to be faced with a lot of opposition. And that we're putting ourselves on the side of Jesus with righteousness against the world. And with the place where that division starts is usually with those who have the closest bonds to us, our family, our friends that we've grown up with. Because we no longer accept their worldview if they're not Christian. Because now we said we're going to align ourselves with Jesus and we are going to be about bringing in harvest because the work is plenty and the workers are few. But I'm one of the few workers and I must be about my father's business. But there's opposition out there that must be confronted because this opposition out there is the same opposition that was against Christ. And it starts in our house. But once we have aligned ourselves with Christ, we say that we are no longer forming our bonds, our relationships based upon earthly standards. They're determined by our Christian calling. And so you can have 12 people, some most, who are not related by blood, but are brought together by spirit and who are unified by mission to go into this world where there's nobody who's really taking charge because everybody is in need of something. And everybody is wandering and they're scattered abroad and they're following whatever way they want to go this way and tomorrow they're doing that thing. And they're just pitiful. And they need salvation. They need the message of Christ. 
and most of them will not accept it. But as Christians, we're told to give it. And it's difficult. And we must acknowledge that. Because if we don't acknowledge the truth of the, the harshness of the way of life that we're called into, we'll put some image of Christianity in our mind that's not valid. And as soon as it gets tough, then we'll turn back into the world. We'll forsake the calling that Jesus has given us. And we will put ourselves in a position of not being worthy of salvation. Why? Because a lot of times we're fearful of man more than we are of Christ, of God. We would rather find comforts in this world than to be uncomfortable in this world. For the eternal salvation that's afforded us. And as I was going through this sermon, I stepped on my toes a lot. Because it it makes you question, what are you actually doing with your salvation, with your faith, with this calling that Jesus has, has brought you into to be a participant with him in spreading this gospel into the world? Because at some point, we have learned all that we need to go out and teach. But we hesitate. We're scared to fly for some reason. And it's not because God will not be with us. It's just because we won't go out and do the uncomfortable thing, which is just proclaim the message of Christ. You see, a number of times Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. Listen at verse 26. Do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Even the very hairs of your heads are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are more, you are worth more than many sparrows. Our fear keeps us from doing what Jesus wants us to do. Our fear keeps us from proclaiming boldly this message of Christ. Why? Because we're fearful that we really can face some harm in this worldly standpoint from those in the world who are against this message. And that's a valid fear because Jesus even acknowledges it. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. He didn't say, I won't let them kill you. He said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Why? Because we need to locate our fear in God who can kill the body and destroy the soul. 
We, may, we must have fear. But that fear must be located in God. Because if our fear is not located in God, what's really going to happen is we're not going to be about what God is calling us to do, which is participate with his son in proclaiming this message of salvation to the world. Because at some point, we must transition from students to teachers. And Jesus, at this point in the gospel, is telling the now apostles that you must make that leap. And we have to look at ourselves and look at our own spiritual growth. And we have to ask, what is it that God is calling me to in his son Jesus now? What transition am I to make? How am I to be about my father's business now with the information that I know? Because sometimes what happens is as students, you think that I need to know one more thing. I need to learn one more lesson. I got to get better with learning just this information and then I'll be ready. But it's never the case. Because there's always something else you can learn. There's always something else that you realize you don't know. And what Jesus tells them is don't worry about Knowing everything that you think you need to know, go out and do what I tell you to do because the opposition is not going to stop God from using you and proclaiming his message. When you get before the councils, when they take you before the governors and the magistrates and the judges, don't worry about what you are to say. Why? Because God's spirit will speak through you. Have you ever been in a situation like that? To where somebody asks you a question of a biblical nature, something about God, and somehow the answer just poured out from you. And it's not as if you were studying that, but it just came out naturally. Well, that's God working through you. That's his spirit attesting through you, his truth. Because you was open to it. You put yourself in a context to where you were proclaiming Christ. And because you was in that situation, God used you despite you. We'll never know the whole Bible. But sometimes we utilize our lack of knowledge as a means not to go out and to teach. Don't worry about that. Be open to be utilized by God to go out and to teach somebody to profess, to proclaim the the, the kingdom of God. And God will use you and he'll speak through you. So we have nothing to fear. Because if we, if, if, if we fear what man's going to do, what God does is going to be twice as worse. And we have to learn to align ourselves more with Christ than with our own families. Because if we don't align ourselves with Christ, what's going to happen is we're not going to be open to having these discussions, to sharing 
our faith with others. And if we can't share it in the household, how much harder will it be to go share it in the streets, in the highways and byways with strangers that we don't know? Because the opposition is not just going to come from within the household, but the opposition is also going to come from those outside of the house. And the beautiful thing about what Jesus is calling us to participate in is our success is not predicated upon the number of people in which we convert. Because we can't convert nobody. All we can do is tell them the truth. And it's up to them to either accept it or reject it. And Jesus, he doesn't even make it difficult. It's difficult in the fact that we are going to be amongst opposition, but he doesn't make it difficult. He says, just go throughout and just find a worthy person whose house you can stay with and stay there. Find one person to work with and work with them. Take hold of them and teach them all you know. Use your relationship with them to fulfill your calling in Christ. It's hard, but it's easy. One person. Can you pour yourself into one person? Can you just find one person whom you could sit with and build with spiritually, you don't have to wear yourself there. Because what's going to happen is you probably in looking for that person, you're going to come across a bunch of people who do not accept the message. Does Jesus say argue with them? Nah. He does say that they might present some conflict for you that you have to face, Because he did. If they call the ruler of the house Beelzebub, what do you think they'll call you? It's okay if people do not accept the message and they send hate your way. It's okay. What is Jesus' response to that? Flee. Leave them. You don't have to confront it. But all I want you to do is find one person that you can make a difference in their life. And you find that one person and let your peace go with you to with them. And if they don't accept it no more, you take your peace with you when you leave. And that, that, is how the gospel is spread. It's from people who have been disciples, who have learned, and are now turned into apostles, who have transitioned from student to teacher Because they have learned to align themselves, their wills with the will of Christ and in opposition to everything else in this world, even in opposition to their family, whom they're most comfortable with. They have said, I am now making a difference in how I'm going to be identified as. It's no longer with my family in this world, but it's now with these Followers of Christ who are willing to go out and try to find other people who will accept this message. And when we're united in spirit, 
And we share the same experience because we're going to face opposition from this world. But that's okay because we're going to be eternally embraced by God in heaven for trying to preach and teach the kingdom of heaven on earth. And whatever we go through, we'll be okay even if somebody takes our life for it. Why? Because God has our soul. And we're going to have to leave this earth anyway. We're going to leave this body at some point. We might as well leave it, utilizing it to bring glory and honor to God. So that when this body is taken off of our spirits, God receives it back and says, well done, my faithful servant. You've been faithful over few. I'll make you master over much. There's work to be done. And as much as we wish that somebody else would go out and do the hard work of proclaiming the gospel for us, we're the answer to our own prayers. And God will supply us with everything that we need to fulfill his will. Because this is not our will. If it was our will, we'd just sit back and we'd probably sip lemonade in the shade and just try to seclude ourselves and watch the whole world burn. But God says, I want you to go out and see if you can find somebody and make a difference in their lives. Hopefully, that's what we can do through what we're going to do with sending these mailers out. We don't know who they're going to reach. We don't know who's going to come to this congregation. We don't know who we might see at the store that says, you guys are from that church that sent that flyer to me. Some people might come accepting the message. Others might come with opposition to the message. But however they come, it's okay. Because all we are told to do is to give the message of the kingdom to this lost world. And they'll be condemned for their response. They'll be saved for their response. But that's determined on them and not us. God has brought us together for a purpose. You look at this, dare I say, ragtag bunch of 12 men that Jesus calls his apostles. They're from all walks of life. Yet they had one goal in mind. And that goal, I think, started off with the selfish nature to get to heaven. But what they understood what that took it expanded to following Christ so much so in this life that I'm going to walk with those who are like-minded and we're going to build each other up and we're going to help assist each other as we all gather in the harvest. That's what we're doing. Building each other up and assisting as we all gather in the harvest.
the impact that we make might not be actualized in our lifetimes, but it will have benefits in eternity. So let's never get discouraged off what we do. Let's never allow what we see to cause us to either think too highly of ourselves or to think too lowly of our results. Because there's only one thing that God wants us to do and that's to promote this message and live lives that show that we follow it. And as we do that, it's up to the people who we come into contact with to either accept or reject the gospel. But our acceptance of it has taught us that we will not be wavering in our faith, we will not be shaken in our resolve, and we will stay committed to being Christians. And even when we falter and fall, we have a Father in heaven who loves us enough to forgive us of our shortcomings. So we'll get back up and we'll continue to be the people who Jesus died so that we can be worthy of the salvation and the calling that we have been given as Christians. I'm not sure where that leaves you, but I'm just trying to put it on our hearts and our minds to have an evangelistic mindset, to be willing to to tell of the story of Christ to people we encounter in our lives, to plant, to water, to sow, and let God add the increase because there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the kingdom. And the ones who are going to have to do it are the ones who pray for the work, who pray for the help. And that help comes in the form of the spirit and in an understanding that God is with us even when the world's against us. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.